the day that I bought 700 shares, it went down 30%. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm on a mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. To join me, go to myworstinvestmentever.com and sign up for my free weekly Become a Better Investor newsletter where I share how to reduce risk and create, grow, and protect your wealth. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Academy, and I'm here with featured guest, Rick Warner. Rick, are you ready to join the mission? I am ready, Andrew. Let's do this. I can say that I haven't, I haven't been so excited about an interview as I am right now after our pre-interview chat. So ladies and gentlemen... Get ready. Yeah, it was a lot of a lot of connection there in that in that pre-interview. That's awesome. Yeah, that was that was great. So let me introduce you to the audience. Rick is a personal development coach, mentor, and highly respected real estate broker based in California, US of A. Rick's story is one of triumph over adversity. At 20 years old, he found himself homeless and addicted to drugs. But with the help of a supportive community, he was able to turn his life around. Now over 30 years later, Rick remains committed to personal growth and helping others achieve success. He has developed the Navigator Program, a groundbreaking approach to personal productivity and purposeful living. Rick, take a minute and tell us about the unique value that you are bringing to this wonderful world. Well, thank you. And thank you for having me as a guest. I think a unique value is a tough one. We were talking about this a little pre, pre-show here. But one thing that really, I think, makes me at least useful to other people, hopefully, is that I'm really willing to capitalize on all my failures to help other people, right? So this idea that failure is bad, which I certainly try and avoid failure as much as anybody else, I certainly have gotten so much out of my failures that at some point I started going, wait a minute, I really can capitalize on these failures because we can help other people, right? Mm -hmm. And then within the context of that, the navigator program that you kind of mentioned as a person who really struggled with having great intentions in the morning and then somewhere midday in the morning maybe somewhere in the afternoon just kind of letting all that go i really needed something to keep me on track and to put me in a position where i knew that if i were taking the right actions i could get to where i wanted to go and i knew what the right actions were most of the time but getting myself to actually hold myself accountable didn't work at all. And so mm. we created that navigator program and that's really been quite helpful for a lot of people. And what's the ideal person that's using your navigator program? Like what is it that they want to get when they join? Yeah. So the way we coach right now is almost exclusively for realtors. However, what I will say is knowing that your audience is really not probably filled with too many realtors the navigator program will work for anybody. And mm -hmm. I teach it for free. I give it away. It's not something that I'm selling because it really is so helpful. And for me, I've been lucky. And I think maybe you've experienced something similar in your life where it's like, I've had so many people that have taken the time to be helpful with me, whether it's a mentor or, or other relationships. And so I just something I'm just kind of giving away and you know trying to just make the world a better place. And maybe you could just summarize a couple of the key things that you, let's just say for the audience that's thinking, okay, that's interesting. What would be one or two things that you 
teach in that program or, you know, that, that are the most valuable things so that people can think about it. And Yeah, right. So basically the Navigator program, there's actually four parts to it, but the main thing I'm talking about right now is called our Daily Navigator, which it helps people that are, like I said, have good plans, they have good intentions. Like, so for example, for me, I have on my Daily Navigator meditation, exercise, drinking my greens, you know, reading or listening to a spiritual or a personal development podcast, kind of in the personal category. And then I have some work stuff in there. So I want to talk to a certain amount of people every day. I want to meet face to face with a certain amount of people and so forth. So it's this kind of cafeteria list that you can put anything in there. It doesn't matter. Like mine happens to be mine. Hmm. But the idea is, is that every day I look at that list and I go, what are the things that are going to make sure my, are going to make my day successful? So far, there's a lot of lists like this. But here's the difference. I check the boxes and I send it, I take a picture of it and I send it out to an accountability group. And that is the difference between what we do and what what other lists are. And you know, a lot of people have a to-do list for the day and so forth. Ours is a must-do list. So we're being very purposeful about what we choose. We send it out to our accountability group. And then as we go through the day and we start to get distracted or we start letting our mood determine what we're doing. We go, wait a minute, I told my accountability group I was going to do those things that were on my list. Takes me back to getting those things done. By the way, I've signed it like a contract. Mm. And once I get everything done, there's a little opportunity to write down three things I'm grateful for. A little mini journal, maybe my struggle or a win that I had that day or whatever. Take another picture of it, send it back out to the group, and I'm done. And so it's kind of like take your every day and turn it into what's going to make a great day for me and wrap it up in a nice little, you know, nice little envelope at the end and I'm done. And then I can be with my family and not worry about what, did I get all the things done? You know, did I, uh, am I doing all the things that I want to do to become mm. the person I want to be? And what do you do for people that want to join your group, but then they think, oh, it's, I mean, my day is kind of out of control. I'm working all the time. And I, you know, I, yeah. I'm afraid that I'm not going to be able to be consistent in that. You know, how do you handle someone like that? Well, so this is a great question because this is the most common thing we get up front. People are like, I'm too busy for that, right? <laughs> and I, ironically, that's exactly why they should be doing it because a lot of times what too busy means is that you're, you know, you are running on your distractions. You're not doing the things that you intended to be purposeful about. You're just letting the day run you versus you running your day. And so once we get people on the program, they find out, they can get rid of a whole bunch of stuff that they didn't need to do. And they are just, once they're nailing it down to the things that they truly wanted to do when they were a clear mind in the morning and they were really taking the time to look at their day, it doesn't add to their day. It actually makes their day less complicated. And the other thing is it's a win the day program, right? So let's say that you do that and you just dug on it. At the end of the day, you were not able to get stuff done. Now there's two ways we coach that. Mm -hmm. One is what did you put on there that was unrealistic and wasn't going to happen? Because we want it, we really want the success of the day. And then the other thing is what happened during the day that got you distracted. So we kind of want to coach people around that, but it's not a beat it over your head kind of thing. It's like we're really trying to get you committed to this new habit of being purposeful and not letting other things get in the way of doing what you wanted to do. And how do you how do you provide support either from your yourself and your team or from other members of the community without yeah. providing overwhelm, you know, like sometimes in groups, you can just get a flow of, you know, all kinds of messages. Other times it's dead quiet. And I, I'm just curious how you handle that. 
Yeah. So the groups that we keep are actually on the smaller side. So even though we'll have maybe a large amount of people doing it, we'll keep the groups to 10 to 20 people, which may sound like a lot, but when you're talking about just these one forms coming through, it's a little bit more, it's kind of easier. And then we've kind of coached people on how to how to be supportive of each other. So there's no, there's nothing that's like holding somebody down. It's all, mm. how can we be supportive? What can we do to help you get there next time? And that kind of thing. And the other thing is it is community driven. So your accountability group is made up of three kinds of people. One is a mentor. So a mentor could be a coach, could be a actual mentor, could be your boss, anybody that you look up to, maybe within your industry, somebody that you look up to. And then the next category person is a peer, somebody that's you know similar to you on, they're on a similar track, they're in a similar place in life, whatever it is. And then the third one, which is really important, is to have somebody that you are mentoring, somebody that's looking up to you that you're being a good example for. And so by virtue of having those three kinds of people on your accountability group, and it could just be three people that's in your accountability group, you know, we find that this is a great way to just keep you on track because as you're going through the day and you're like, oh, I don't want to do that thing I said on my must-do list that I decided. Nobody else is deciding what's on your list every day. I want to, I do actually shoot, man, I want to be a good example of that person. Or yeah. I want to be, I want to do good for my mentor. I'm, I want my mentor to know that I'm I'm working hard or that peer that I have. So it's a pretty good formula. So to summarize that, you said groups are about 10 to 20. They're community driven. You talked about it's important to have three different types. So let's say the mentor, coach, boss. So someone that you would consider to be someone that right. you aspire to be or that you see as a good role model. Yeah. Or that then, you're, yeah, you want to be accountable to. Yep. Yep. And then somebody, you know, you want to have somebody, people at your own level who you're, you're have the camaraderie, like we're going to the same, you know, we're yeah, going to the right. same place. And then the third one is someone that you're mentoring so that it's incredible how, how valuable that is to kick your ass to do right. what you said you're going to do because here you are mentoring someone and then they're going, but Andrew, you're not, doing you're not it. even doing it yourself. Yeah, exactly. That's right. That's beautiful. Yeah. And, and this community that you've built and the navigator program, it is for certain people and it's not for certain people. I'm just curious, like of my listeners, if there's anybody that's interested in that, what type of person would be the type of person that you would welcome into that? What would be the type of person that you'd say probably not suitable for them? And where would they go to learn more? So, right. So great questions. The first thing I would say is you can take everything that I just said, and I've given you enough from information to create your own version of this, right? There's no proprietary. I mean, we, we call it the daily navigator. We coach it, we train it and so forth. But you literally do not need to come to me. You can go replay this podcast, listen yep. to all the things I said. But we do have a website, flowcademy.com, where we have classes that people can sign up for. And then we do, and I don't think we have them on our website, but once a month, we're going to be training or giving this to people that are outside of the real estate industry, just as like a community service, so that people that are, I mean, geez, even if you're you know, a stay-at-home mom or dad, or if you're like, it doesn't even have to be for business. Like some people, I have a person who actually is in the fine is in a financial advisor. Her financial, you know, her business is fine, but she wanted to use that accountability for all of her personal stuff. So anyway, mm. I, I think I went off the off topic there, but the, so, the idea is you can do this yourself. You don't need me yep. to do it. Okay. And I'm just looking at your website. I'll have a link to it in the show notes, but let's just look at the vision, the vision of Flow Academy, that's F-L-O-C-A-D-E-M-Y. 
is a learning and skill development program created to exhilarate you and drive success in your professional and personal life. Work with peers and professional coaches to ignite your creativity, propel your business, and nurture your life's flow. <laughs> exactly. So our idea is we're trying to coach people in the flow, right? You talk, people talk about it all the time. I'm living, I'm in the flow, man, things are just working for me. We're trying to create that, what seems to be kind of elusive for people sometimes or something that happens occasionally. And we're trying to, we are coaching people into living in the flow as much as possible. Part of that is our navigator program. That's a great description. And I'll have all that in the show notes. And I really love the the tips that you have. I have a community and I am a little bit nervous about overwhelming them, you know, and so, but I do think that what you're talking about is something really valuable. And for those listeners that say, well, I don't have any time or money to do anything like this or whatever. I think, you know, you've given them a great pathway to just create something like that, a, a channel with your friends and start exactly what you just taught. Before we get into the big question of the day, I just wanted to highlight something that's interesting. And that is my audience knows that, well, most of my audience know that when I was 14 years old, I was locked up in juvenile detention center because of my parents filing incorrigibility charges against me. And I lived in a foster home over summer. And then I went back to my family. And ultimately, I was caught up in drug addiction and alcohol and all of that and ended up in a really dark place. And I went into a rehab and started using after that rehab. And then I went into a second one. And then I went into a third one. And it was September 15th, 1982, that I had my last drug and my last drink. And basically, I have lived a life following 12-step program, which has been very helpful. And I always try to tell my story also to provide hope for people that are suffering and struggling either with addiction themselves or with someone in their family that literally there is help right around the corner. Because here, even in Bangkok, we have 12-step programs and meetings and all of those things. So I know my audience knows a little bit about my background, but maybe you can just give us a short journey through, you know, my goodness, 20 years old, finding yourself homeless, addicted to drugs, and then supportive community. So maybe just give us a short version of that. Sure. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, that was the short version. <laughs> the, the slightly extended version would be, I don't know how I ended up being in the spot where I could not see living my life without getting loaded one way or the other. It was just so essential to how I functioned and how I reacted to the world. I remember thinking regularly, like, if I could just be loaded all the time, that would be great. And I really meant it. I wasn't I wasn't doing it for fun. I was doing it just to function. And so, you know, as it turns out, when you live that way, you take yourself down a path where ultimately I... The other thing is that I had a baby when I was, or my girlfriend had a baby when four days after I turned 19. So I was, I was just jumping right into, uh, you know, adulting as they call it. Now I had a baby. I was terrified of what that meant. I, you know, all the things and really ultimately chose being loaded over being a dad over being responsible and all the, and all that, and moved into a tool shed behind a driving range where I used to be a golf instructor and I was there for about a month. And then luckily for me, and this is what I was alluding to at the beginning, I had an absolute failure where it just, getting loaded just did not work for me anymore. That that night, all of a sudden, what it used to do for me, it just didn't do. And I could see my life for what it really was, which was, I wasn't, my life was going you know, nowhere. And I was shocked at 
how I got to this point, I, you know, my family didn't have, I was given right, you know, lots of love and taught right from wrong mm -hmm. and all that. So yeah, I too, I walked into a 12 step program the next day. And I was very fortunate that, you know, within that window of opportunity, and I'm, and I'm imagining you've noticed this too, like, there's a window of opportunity that you get, and maybe it's a few hours, maybe it's a few days. It's not very long. And so when you get into one of these 12 step programs, getting immersed in what they're, you know, what they're availing to you for nothing and doing the actions, not just sitting in the peripheral, but actually doing the things, it's all the difference in the world. And I was very fortunate to get in with a bunch of people that were very serious about this thing. And it is absolutely the foundation of all the great things that have happened to me after that. Mm. What an inspiration. It reminds me, I when I was 17, I had gone to one treatment center in Minnesota. And four days later, I was getting high again. And then I just decided I'm going to run away. And yeah. that's it. I'm just going to go live my life. I mean, I can figure this out. So yeah. I, I ran away. And where I ended up was in a chicken coop behind a friend's house. Yeah. And it was, coop, sure. yeah, it was, <laughs> it had been cleaned out obviously by this time, but I was living in a chicken coop and eventually my parents never gave up. They called the police. They tried to, you know, find out where I was. And eventually the cops got me. And in fact, there was a guy named John Wyatt, who was the principal of our high school that later became a cop in little town of Hudson, Ohio, where I grew up. And basically he kind of took an interest and he chased me down and he found me. And then it wasn't so much that he was, you know, saying, you know, I was a good kid or anything like that. It was just like, you know, he just did his job, but he did it well. And that, that was the beginning, but it's funny because I reconnected with him over Facebook, you know, I don't know, five or 10 years ago and just Isn't was able fun? to say, yeah. thank you, you know, but yeah. Yeah. you know, the, the point is, is that there's bottoms and when you're facing a bottom in your life or you see someone facing the bottom in their life, act and help them to get to a 12 step program, find somebody that that's been through it. And that's what I think what really helped me in my 12 step journey is just that, you know, there was people around me that had been through it. And then all of a sudden the pathway was clear. It was, yeah, it's all the difference in the world. And it's amazing. I think I just I feel so lucky that that happened. But I do have this sense of responsibility, probably as you do too, which is, hey, I want to make sure I'm there for the next person that comes in in that situation. Because, you know, I cannot imagine what my life would be like if there wasn't mm -hmm. something like that, you know? Yeah, yeah. And that's where I think in your program, hearing about having that third person, the person that you're mentoring yeah. is a clear tip of the hat to what really works, which is, you know, having accountability to people that you admire and you want to deliver for, but also having accountability to someone that you're really helping. So that's a great, that's right. you know, contributor to what you're doing. Well, and it's, a, and by the way, it's a totally selfish thing, as you know, yeah. like the idea when you get an opportunity to help somebody, I've got a guy right now who's, retired firefighter and he's just under six months and and he you know watching the changes happen in his life he's 48 years old like you know you get to do this over and over again help these people it's almost selfish to help these people right because it feels so good to make a difference and make a contribution yep it's so so true well thanks for being authentic and sharing your journey and what you're doing we certainly appreciate it now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. 
well, I have a couple of these, but so I am, I am the worst. So by, and we didn't, I didn't mention this, but I used to be a series seven licensed guy. So I've actually, at some point was managing people's money. This is 20 years ago. And of course, you know, you're always telling people trying to time the market doesn't work. It's not a thing and all that, right? This is great advice. Well, guess who absolutely thinks that's doesn't apply to him, right? This is a story of my life. And so about three years ago, I had made some pretty good investments and in some decent stocks, and it just felt like, you know, things were going to go sideways. So I took my money off the table, all of it. I went into 100% cash, and I was waiting, you know, and I waited, and then I waited, and I waited, and I waited, and I waited, and the market actually went up, and then it kind of basically stayed up, and so there was really no opportunity for me to get in until just recently with the banking crisis. I saw this, you know, First Republic Bank. This is in the United States. For those who are, I don't know if that's around the world, if it was known or not, but First Republic Bank, big regional bank, well-known in our region. I'd done lots of business with them, great reputation, formerly $300 stock, I think, and it went down to $30. And I said, holy moly, this is it. This is what I need to do. I'm buying this thing 10 cents on the dollar. This is what I was waiting for. And so I bought, I think, 700 shares, right? Mm. The day that I bought 700 shares, it went down 30%. I bought it at $29 at the open. And by the end of the day, it was $21. Welcome. And it was it was fantastic investment right away. But amazingly, it got worse. So then if you haven't known, for listeners who don't know, it went from $21 all the way down to like $14 or $13. And I thought, well this is a great company. I'm going to double down. So I bought another 700 shares to dollar cost average. So now my average share price is at like 20 bucks. I'm feeling pretty good about it, really. I'm like, I got 1400 shares. All that needs to happen is it needs to go back to, you know, 20 bucks for me to break even. And then I get a text, I don't know, a few weeks, or maybe it was a week later from a buddy who was following with me. And it just said, that's terrible or something horrible like that. And I knew what he was talking about. I looked and the stock's trading at $3. It's $12.50. So for here in California, that means the market's going to close in 10 minutes. And I had to have this conversation. Do I drop another $2,100 to buy 700 more shares to dollar cost <laughs> And luckily the market closed. I didn't do it. And the next day or the day after that, they were bought by Chase or you know JP Morgan, whatever. And I then I thought, okay, well, I thought what would happen it was to convert into their shares, which would still be a horrible investment because well, I was going to get two shares of JP Morgan or whatever. <laughs> but that didn't even happen. I literally it went to zero, you know, or I still have like 1400 shares, but the value is like eight cents a share or something. I don't know what happened there, but that's my worst investment ever. And how would you describe the lessons that you learned? I'm not sure if I've learned really anything, to be honest. I, I think I would probably do something. I mean, I'm a swing for the fences kind of guy. You know, I don't know if that's good or bad. I would never hire me as a financial advisor. You're a professional. I'm not. And obviously, after that story, nobody would hire me anyway. I think I probably should have done more research in terms of like just going off of my gut. That was stupid, obviously. I bet there was people that were probably like, listen, man. It was probably obvious what was going to happen. It was obvious mm. to everybody else that it was going down. <laughs> but I'm, by the way, I did the same thing with Enron in 2000-ish, whenever that happened. But at least that one was only, it was 
down to a dollar and I bought a thousand shares for a buck. And I thought, oh, it's a flyer. Mm. But I also lost that thousand bucks. Well, maybe I'll share a few things related to this story. First of all, is I was a bank analyst for my first 10 years in my financial career. And mm. the Thai banks is what I covered in Thailand. And so they were in a boom phase and then they collapsed in 1997 when the Thai bot collapsed and we had the Asian financial crisis. And basically, then I was a bank analyst through that time as they recapitalized. But I learned an important lesson when you invest in banks. And there's a reason why I don't invest in banks. And that is banks have only a sliver of capital. Mm. Whereas normal companies have about 40% of their total funding comes from equity or capital mm. and the rest from borrowing and accounts payable and stuff like that. But banks only have 10% or so of their total funding coming from equity. Mm. And what that means is that all that has to happen is that the assets of that bank can fall in value by 10% and your investments wiped out. Right. And that, for the listeners out there, when you invest in banks, you're investing in a highly speculative asset. And therefore, that's part of the reason also why banks rarely trade at very high multiples, like PE multiples of 20 or 30 times. You're never going to get that in a bank, a traditional bank at least. And the second thing is that when you have a bank crisis, the way that governments want to handle it is they want to have other banks buy that bank. So you may think to yourself, yeah, I'm gonna, this is going to work out because I'll either get shares in that other bank or they'll buy it at yeah. a reasonable price. Right. But those banks that are buying it are crafty. And what they say is, no, I'm not buying it. Basically, I'm going to let it go bust and I'm going to let the government take it over. And then I'm going to have the government then sell it to me. And then I'm going to demand that the government give me some guarantees that I'm not going to lose more and more and more. And so that's why it's not a good idea to run it down to, you know, once it starts to really collapse, there's not a recovery as unlike some other businesses where there is, but there's not in the case of banks. So those are some of the things that, you know, and I, I also- I should have called you. I should have called yeah. you. <laughs> yes. Now now you know. But also, I know. I, yeah. banks are just, you know, they're, they're volatile. So you got to be yeah. really careful investing in banks. Which is funny that you say that because I just wouldn't, I would never, I appreciate you saying all that. I would have never thought of a bank as volatile at all. And that said, everything you said totally makes sense. And, you know, I really should have been, you know, with the margins of interest rates and what they did, that should have been an obvious thing because all of a sudden, all of the books gets completely screwed up with those interest rates too. You know, I, I have strategies that I implement and my clients follow those strategies. And basically, one of the strategies that I have is, you know, I, ha I have frameworks that I follow. I have systematic investing style. And one of the things at the beginning of this year, that style said is buy U.S. banks. Mm, interesting. The signal was a buy. And mm. I could see there was some positive momentum and there were some other things. So I put on a 7% position of the total portfolio into these U.S. banks. Within a couple of days, Silicon Valley banks went bust. Mm. And then wow. that that went down, you know, immediately. And then it, it bounced back a little bit. Right. But I knew at that time that my thesis of what I was investing in was momentum, positive momentum that was in the sector was gone. And I also knew enough about banks that, you know, it's a long dragged out, you know, fight. Mm. And therefore I don't want to be behind this trade. And so within about a week of putting on that trade, I, I took it off at a loss. And I had to go to my clients and say, I was in and now I'm out. 
And it's a little bit embarrassing to go and say something like that, but it's such a relief to be able to get out of something. So that's one of the big takeaways that I would say in your case with your story is that if you find that you're invested in something and it starts to really go down and it wasn't really your plan that it was going to, I'm buying this because it's going to go down, you know, like it's not favorable right now, therefore I'm buying it, you know, but if it really starts to go against you, there's nothing wrong with getting out. You can always get in again at another point. So that's another thing. Right. I, uh, this is where I said, this is the part where I didn't actually learn anything. I, I don't know that. I don't know. I mean, aside from what you've already told me, which was, it was just a bad investment, but from the standpoint of it going down a little bit more, I mean, clearly it was a dead cat bounce. It even did come up just like Silicon Valley bank did a little bit, because I think at the time the government came in and said, you know, we're going to guarantee everything. And that kind of made it feel better for a minute, but ultimately the too big to fail guys got it. So. So let's now think about a young person who is exactly like you. They just haven't been through this. Based upon what you learned from this story and what you continue to learn in your life, what's one action that you'd recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? You know, I think that the thing that's been most beneficial to me is availing myself to the people that have been around before me, just like what you're talking about. Hmm. Like, and it's hard when you're 20 or you know, whatever you kind of, at least for me, I totally thought I knew everything. And where I was the most willing to ask other people for help is when I, like you said, I hit a bottom. I I hit that. I mean, I really was just determined to do everything myself, Mm -hmm. but if there's a way for you to listen and go, Hey, maybe I don't have to go all the way down. Maybe I don't actually know as think as much as I think I do, you know, this idea that there's blind spots out there, you know, that you, there's things that you don't know that you don't know. That's something that I would, you know, consider mm. even now. I'm ta- I'm even talking to myself now as a 53-year-old man. There's still things that I don't know I don't know. And the more I can avail myself to other people, read books, learn stuff, listen to people like you, I think that has been my biggest game changer. After, in my case, mostly it's after I fail, which, by the way, I wasn't done failing when I was 20. I've had multiple <laughs> failures since then. But almost all of them, especially the big ones, it was like a catapult, it was like a trampoline to mm. just much bigger things. So what's a resource that you'd recommend of yours or any others for our listeners? Well, gosh, I mean, I have I am so into personal development. There's so many things that I mean, I love the landmark program that's out there. I'm a big reader of books. You know, the big catalyst for me in this, the last five years has been a big personal growth time for me. And the first book I read within that was the book, The Four Agreements, actually, by Don Miguel Ruiz. That was really simple. Mm. And it really changed my brain around a lot of things that was making it hard for me to uh, react to life. Also, I would just say, you know, I'm easy to connect with. So look me up on the website. If you want to just have a conversation, I love talking with people and helping people and mentoring people. So you can just call me directly. Fantastic. And we'll have all that in the show notes. Last question. What is your number one goal for the next 12 months? My number one goal for the next 12 months, this is totally top secret. So you're, only your listeners get to know this, but I'm converting- Hold on, wait a minute. Let me just pull down the cone of silence. Hold on. The cone of silence has come down now. Nobody can hear us. Go ahead and tell Very good. That's good. Thank you. So I'm converting my very successful real estate business, which I'm super grateful and lucky to have. However, it makes me, I'm regionally dependent. I have to be where I'm at for this to work. 
And so over the next 12 months, and if you'll give me 18 months, I'm converting that business into where I can leave it more and I can be location independent. So if I want to go to, mm. you know, live in Asia for the next 30 years, I could do that if I wanted to. So in really beefing up and spending more time in my coaching and mentoring program and becoming lo location independent. That's exciting. Well, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. Remember, I'm on a mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. As we conclude, Rick, I want to thank you again for joining our mission. And on behalf of ASTOTS Academy, I hereby award you alumni status for turning your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? I'm so pleased. Do I get like a like a tassel, a hat that goes with it's my- coming. Okay, very good. I'm excited. Thank you so much for having me on the show, Andrew. I appreciate you sharing. And that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect our well fellow risk takers. Let's celebrate that today we added one more person to our mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. This is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stott, saying, I'll see you on the upside.